Are you curious about writing romance stories, but you're not sure what qualifies as romance? In today's episode, you'll get a deeper look into what constitutes the romance genre. You'll learn what makes a romance novel literary and what distinguishes the 50-plus subgenres from each other. You'll also walk away with three story development tips. Welcome to Parents Who Write, the podcast that helps parents pursue their writing dreams. I'm your host, Erin P.T. Canning. I'm a mom of two young boys, a writer, editor, and writing coach. My mission is to help you regularly make time for your writing, find your voice again, and confidently share your stories so that you can own your identity as a writer and be a happier, more patient parent. Joining me today is my dear friend, Maria Secoy, a literary romance author and writing coach who founded All Write Well, which provides self-publishing services for literary romance writers. Maria, thank you so much for joining me today. You know I love having you on the show. Thank you. I always love being on here. It's always, we always have great conversation. We do. So we are going to jump right into things today. As I introduced you, I mentioned that you are a literary romance author. So what exactly makes a romance book literary? I don't know if you're going to like my response to this. I am a firm believer that all romance novels are literary by definition. I would argue that the definition of literature is the craft of using language to convey a moment in time. And in my mind, from my perspective, one of the joys of romance novels is that they lack a lot of pretense. Mm. They tend to be written quickly without extensive research. So they provide an unfiltered perspective on the culture at that time. Even when the romance novel is written about a different time period or is set in a different time period, the attitude the author chooses to take toward the characters, the tone the author sets when writing about that time period, provides a snapshot into the cultural opinions of the time period at the time the book was written. So you know what? I really appreciate that answer. And you know why? I first fell in love with mystery, romance, and fantasy books. When I entered American University for my bachelor's in literature, the courses particularly focused on world literature, women's literature, the canon. Yep. And I started looking down upon the books that made me fall in love with writing in the first place. Ouch. Mm -hmm. And so at that time, I'm going to age myself here. My friend in college, we were walking around to the National Mall in D.C. It was getting dark out and he was going luminous. And talking to me about the Harry Potter books, he was talking about the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Universe, all these other books that he was reading, and just the love and passion and enthusiasm that he had for them. And I was kind of like, oh, whatever, you know, I'm reading Hemingway and everything, right? <laughs> and so he did not stop talking about these books. And I love him to bits forever for this. We went to a bookstore where I practically have lived the majority of my 20s and 30s, and the Harry Potter series were on sale. I was like, fine, you keep talking about these books. I've never wanted to read them. I'm going to buy them just to get you to stop talking about them all the time. And I read the first book, and I was like, oh, okay, you know, I can understand why people would like this. 
read the second book and I was like, oh, that was really good. Like, I, I enjoyed that. Okay, cool. Read the third book and I was like, oh my gosh, I love this. I love this. I need to go get the fourth book. I can't wait to go get the fourth book. We need to go get the fourth book now. And he reminded me how much I truly love pretty much all genres. So I do not sneer at other books and genres anymore. He reminded me about who I am, and I, I'm forever grateful for that. And what am I writing now? Fantasy, because that is my first love. So, so I, I have to add a couple fun facts in here that I always love when people start debating whether or not romance novels count as literature, whether or not they are literary. At the Library of Congress in Washington, D.C., if you take a look at the ceiling in the main part of the library, they have etched in the ceiling all of the literary genres, the classic genres, and in among them is erotica. As an offshoot of that, we have reached a period in our history where there's a whole group of people who happily read them outright, discuss them. But I mean, as a public school teacher, I could not admit to my love of erotica and, and some of the steamier romance novels. And yet, even Amazon lists erotica under literary fiction. Wow, that is so powerful. Thank you so much for bringing attention to that. So on that note, can you break down the different romance genres, specifically what distinguishes them from each other? Genres and subgenres are a very subjective topic. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, you can look up 10 different lists and get 10 different results. The most commonly accepted tend to be fairly standard, but given that Amazon is currently the world's largest distributor of ebooks in particular, given that Amazon is the one currently reporting that we are seeing romance as the highest grossing genre for almost a decade now, I like to use Amazon's categories, specifically Amazon's ebook categories, as a standard. Mm -hmm. Not because Amazon's categories are right, not because they are the only option, but simply because Amazon is so prolific in our lives. Kindle is such a common thing and it's international. It's something that's very easy for us to use as a benchmark. So based on that, when, when I talk about these subgenres, know that I am pulling from Amazon's list of Kindle ebook subgenres. Their paperback book, their book categories are actually different. So know that those are two different lists. Yes. So with that in mind, Amazon lists 35 subgenres under romance. Wow. That does not include LGBTQ romance, nor does that include any of the erotica subgenres. Wow. If you add those in, you are talking about approximately 50 and 60 subgenres within the romance category. Hot diggity dog. <laughs> so let's actually start by pairing off erotica because it is different because not all erotica is romantic and not all romance obviously falls in the category of erotica. So within erotica, sex drives the relationship. Everything else is 
secondary. That's not to say that there isn't an abutting relationship of some sort, but it may not have a happy ending, be it happily for now or happily ever after. It may be tragic. It may be very, very dark. And the commonality is the physical interaction between the characters and their physical relationship. Within erotica, Amazon lists action and adventure, BDSM, historical, African-American, horror, humorous, interracial, mystery, paranormal. Romantic erotica is its own separate category, subcategory. It also includes science fiction, suspense, thrillers, urban, Victorian, westerns. There is a wide array here. I find it interesting that it's only under erotica that humorous is broken out in that way. That is interesting. So in that case, you're talking about physical interaction that contains comedy. The possibilities there are highly entertaining. When we're talking sci-fi, erotica, that's where we're talking about uh, relations that often involve tentacles and other such creative creatures. Space. Robots. Uh, yes. When we put the romance first, when we talk specifically about romance, we're putting the emotion first. The next one I kind of want to knock off our list is LGBTQ+. We put LGBTQ+, romance as a subcategory under LGBTQ+, literature. I am all for that. I think it is valid and worthwhile to be able to pull up works written by marginalized communities who've lived a different experience, who may have a different perspective on the world, for writers who are members of the LGBTQ plus community. That's phenomenal. We're recognizing that it's literature. We're recognizing that it's a subgenre of that literature. However, we have this other category that is actually growing. It really picked up in 2018 and it has exploded since. M.M. Romance, Relationships Between Two Men, is written almost in exclusively by straight white women between the ages of 30 and 50. It is read almost exclusively by straight white women between the ages of 30 and 50. And again, I'm all for this, but where do we classify that? Right now, because it's MM romance, it's being categorized under LGBTQ plus literature. And I throw a red flag on that because it's not LGBTQ plus literature. Mm -hmm. While one can argue that both definitely relate to gender roles and societal norms and their relation to gender roles, to put them together in the same category feels not appropriate to me. Those are two very, very different situations and two very different lenses from which to both write and read. Mm. If you put me in charge of the world, we would have a separate category for MM romance. As of right now, sapphic romance, which is female-female romance, is just starting to boom. It is doing this year what MM romance did in like 2018. I expect two years from now we are going to see it explode. Right now, it is still very much so LGBTQ plus literature. Hmm. It has not been commandeered by any other groups. But I definitely think it's worth monitoring and paying attention to who is reading and writing these books. It's recognizing that sometimes there needs to be another category. They are two different things. And our lack of language in how to label them inhibits our ability to understand what we're buying, who we're supporting. I would love to have a clear understanding when I pick up a book. Is this a queer romance writer? 
Or is this an MM romance writer who's a straight white woman writing from a place of privilege? Because while there are a million caveats to that, the general most common experience is that a lot of those authors are are writing from that place of privilege. There's my TED Talk. On, that is your on, TED Talk. <laughs> that is my TED Talk. So that leaves us with 35 other categories. Oh my goodness. Pick a few main ones. <laughs> I don't well, know. so I kind of like to go through a couple and nowhere in near the detail. Most of Amazon's categories here are pretty self-explanatory. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to run through the ones that are kind of unique to Amazon that I would argue they've created in direct response to reader requests and reader interests. So they have action and adventure. They have clean and wholesome. And you can see where that would be a request from readers. They have contemporary, which is very standard, fantasy, very standard, historical. There's a ton of subcategories there that we can kind of talk about. They have holiday romance, which I would argue is a direct response to readers. Same thing with inspirational, having that very positive, encouraging. We only would define it that way because readers asked to, because readers were looking for that specifically. Same thing with later in life. We have military, we have medical, multicultural and interracial, and then new adult and college, mystery and suspense, paranormal, which has a ton of subcategories under it, romantic comedy, science fiction, sports, time travel. I really wondered about the backstory on why time travel got pulled out of science fiction. Right? I was just wondering the exact same thing. I wonder, I would be really curious to look at the data and see if there wasn't some point in time where there was some big spike that time travel was super popular and it got pulled out of science fiction. And then they have Westerns. I also wonder why Westerns are not included in historical. Yeah. In most, like with the Library of Congress, Westerns get folded into historical. Interesting. Sometimes Amazon perplexes me. Amazon lists historical American, and then they list Westerns totally separate. Yeah, that doesn't mean, okay. Well, so this is where it does get interesting because we've got ancient world, which is where we're talking romance between like Greek gods kind of thing, could definitely be considered part of that ancient world. We've got medieval, which is often focused around Austria-Hungary, Germany, more Central Central Europe. We have Regency, which is almost always set in England Mm -hmm. uh, or Great Britain. And then we have Renaissance, which again tends to be more mainland Europe. Mm -hmm. We have Scottish, Tudor, and Victorian. Wow. And those are all broken into separate categories. Wow. If you look up Tudor and Victorian, the difference is a decade. The Tudor period of historical romance covers like 20 years, and then the Victorian period covers like the next 80 years after that. Those are all subcategories under historical romance. That is fascinating how categories emerge. It really boggles my mind. What's really funny is they're all cross-listed in the other categories. Of course they are. That's a theme we see throughout most of the romantic subgenres is that every book is cross-listed under several categories. Mm-hmm. The exception tends to be clean and wholesome. Those tend to stand a little bit more alone. They are often cross-listed under inspirational. And then they are sometimes cross-listed under new adult college or holiday. But clean and wholesome tends to be kind of a standout, unique category. Because of the, I hate to say zero steam, because they can have some steam in them. It's just that there's no... Physical. Right. Yeah. Fade to black. We know what's going on behind closed doors. 
Yes. Should we end with the most exciting category of all? Please. So we have fantasy, which is one subgenre. And then we have paranormal, which is different. I'm going to read the list of paranormal subcategories. And then I want you to think about what's missing because that's what falls under fantasy. Okay. Under paranormal, we have angels. We have demons and devils. We have ghosts. We have psychics. We have vampires. We have werewolves and shifters. And we have witches and wizards. No zombies? What, we can't get a zombie paranormal romance in there? Apparently there's nothing romantic about like your skin falling off as you stagger around trying to eat other people. <laughs> hey, you know what? That might go under science fiction. You know, they made it work with uh, Disney zombies musicals. Those were yeah, fantastic. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. So <laughs> if you notice, it it's your book that's missing. No elves, no fairy fae. Those fall under fantasy. Well, I feel kind of like Adeline and Eolis are lost in the shuffle there somehow. Gosh darn. Or you could argue they get their own subcategory because they get fantasy all to themselves. I guess. It weirds me out that we don't put werewolves under fantasy. Okay. Well, that's fun. And then for everybody who's listening, urban fantasy is, you know, taking place in a, a modern setting and world like what we've got here, basically. Well, I love my fantasy genre. My favorite. Uh, I'm more of a paranormal fan, personally. Yes. Okay, so you are a writing coach, my friend. What are your top three tips for romance writers? It's all about character development. If your readers don't love your characters, they're going to DNF. They're going to did not finish reading your book, which means all of your characters need strengths and weaknesses. Yes. There has to be room for them to grow. And then we have to see that growth happening during the book. I talk about this in one of my live sessions over in the AWW Romance Writers Group. The only two ways to grow love, the only two ways to have characters develop love, it either starts as a passion that focuses on a physical attraction. And that passion doesn't always have to be positive. So this is where we have the enemies to lovers trope. This is where we have that wonderful hate relationship that, that still explodes in lots of fireworks. Mm -hmm. But starting with the physical and then the growth that the characters go through is accepting their emotions and learning to share their emotions with each other. So it starts physical and grows into emotional love. The only other option is to start with those feelings and grow into the physical relationship. And that's where we see things like friends to lovers. You can dig into all of all of the tropes, all of the options, and they all boil down to those two things. You either start physically passionate and grow the emotions or you start with the emotions and have to kind of nudge the physical along. Fun times. The third one, if you're writing a romance novel, it has to have either a happily for now or a happily ever after ending. That's part of the definition of a romance novel. You can write a love story that ends in tragedy like Romeo and Juliet. But if you are writing a romance novel, your only choices are happily ever after or happily for now. But it better end happy with the two people together. Can you specify how you know if you're writing a happily for now versus happily ever after? Happily Ever After often ends with an epilogue that shows them several years down the line taking the next step in their relationship. So if the main storyline ends with them getting married, then later on we see them having kids. If the main storyline ends with them kind of committing to each other in one way or another, then the epilogue ends with them getting married. 
And there are many variations to that, but the idea is they have one way or another made a forever commitment and they will be together for the rest of their lives is how during the resolution of the story, readers are left to believe that they'll be together forever. Happily for now means there are probably still some underlying issues. So they've probably overcome the the biggest hurdles to be able to work things out and and build a life together. But there are still enough like deep-seated struggles between them or maybe that one of them has trauma in their past that wasn't fully dealt with Mm -hmm. that may crop up. So it leaves that opening that things may implode later on. But for now, they're good. Do people usually choose a happily for now if they are planning a sequel or can a standalone book also end with a happily for now? Yes. Happily for now can be the first in a series or it can be a standalone. A lot of them are standalones. Authors who write standalone happily for now books tend to take a very realistic outlook on the world. I love that specification at the end. Thank you. All right. We have got one last question. Are you going to surprise me yet again with an answer? And here we go. What's the deal breaker in the romance genre? So to be in the romance category, you have to have a happy ending one way or another. If one of your characters is going to die, you're not writing a romance novel. So that's a deal breaker. Dark romance is very, very popular right now, especially like with mafia and things like that. Those still have happy endings. Most of the time, the idea there is the ultimate theme of the book is monsters are lovable. If the monster isn't lovable, if the monster eats the girl or, you know, whatever the case may be, if it ends badly, it's not a romance novel. Well, there you go. So that's the deal breaker. You got to have a happy ending of some sort with your characters for it to be romance. That makes sense. Well, again, Maria is the founder of All Right Well which provides self-publishing services for literary romance writers, which basically is every romance writer out there, which is what she has basically revealed to us tonight. Maria, is there anything else that you would like to share before we go? Come join us over in the AWW Romance Writers Group. I go live and talk about this kind of nerdy stuff every Tuesday night. It's usually not quite this nerdy. It's often more practical, but that's true. I'd love to see people there. That is true. You offer phenomenal advice, so I wholeheartedly recommend your group and your lives. So that's why you and I make such a great team. Uh Uh-huh. All right. Well, thank you again. You know that you're going to be back on this show again at some point. So fun times. Next time I come on, though, I want to prepare questions for you. Oh, God. All right. (laughs) Deal. I'll take it. Well, you have a good one. Bye. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to another episode. If you want to connect with other people who have goals similar to yours, where you can gain more camaraderie, accountability, and support, then join my Facebook group, Parents Who Write. I can't wait to see you there. 